So we've been busy with the sermon series on at the well where we focus on our intimacy with God and, and I'm excited to do the last one there's probably more there's more that I, every time I open a Bible I see more stuff on on wells and God's intimacy with us and 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 his longing and his passion for us to connect with him in a more intimate way and deeper way to grow in our relationship with God takes intimacy and 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 to really experience God in a place of intimacy will revolutionize and transform your life and it will never be the same. It's just the way God works. God has made us to connect with Him in a supernatural way and, and that's why we need to know how to connect with Him intimately. I want to I recap on, on the first four sermons to just refresh our minds of what we've been speaking about. Maybe you've missed some of it, um, but I'm going to go through it very quickly. So, sermon one What's called the digging your well deeper. Do you remember God showed me a vision of a well that became dry and, 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 and a place of saying, Henny, that I need you to dig your well deeper. You're at a place of intimacy that I have with you. Um, don't leave the well dry, but dig it deeper. You see, we looked at the significance of a well in biblical times and that, that it's a, prophetically, a prophetic representation of our intimacy with God. Do you remember that? How amazing a well was for the, for, the, for the people in the biblical times. It was a sign of wealth, of, of stature, of families. We looked at Isaac and how his father's, his father's wells, he moves back to the country of his father, and all the wells that his father dug was filled with dirt by the Philistines. And the enemy will always try to fill our place of intimacy with dirt. So that we don't experience that place of intimacy with God, that watery place. I mean, every time the enemy will put stuff in your, in your way and do things in your life that will limit your place or the place of intimacy that we have with God. Have you ever felt like that? It's like, Lord, I just can't connect with you. And that's where God says, sometimes you need to stand up and dig that well deeper. Just dive into that place of intimacy, that place of, of, um, of devotion that we have. To find more of Him. Sometimes God wants us to aggressively pursue Him. Then sermon 2 we called um, Living Stones. You remember that one? We looked at Jacob. How he fled his father's home away from Esau. His brother wanted to kill him. He met God on the way. Saw angels coming down, up and down from heaven. He had a divine encounter. And then the next day he ran and he came to a well where he saw shepherds waiting with flock for all the other shepherds to gather before they can water the flock. You remember that one? I love that sermon. Now a stone had to be rolled away for the water to be given. Firstly, you had to wait. Sometimes God, God wants us to wait patiently in a place of devotion for Him to come. But in a world of, of so much, I mean, we have cell phones, we, have, we are overloaded by information, we don't want to wait anymore. But God calls us to wait in that place to find more of Him. This is sometimes to pursue God aggressively is to wait patiently. And then we looked at the stone that had to be rolled away. We looked at Jesus who rolled away the stone who freed us from the sin and law and, and gave us grace through the grave. He stood up after three days. And, and we spoke about that we need to be the stone that gives water to people who are thirsty. You see, in a place of intimacy, we get watered. We get infused with God and we give to others. It was such a great sermon. I really enjoyed that. 
Then the third week we looked at a sermon called Stand Up. And it's a sermon that called us to action. That says sometimes we can't just sit around, we need to stand up. And we need to trust God to do something amazing. We looked at the story of Moses. Moses had three defining moments in his life. Remember that? He went from identity to intimacy to authority. So sometimes Moses came to a place in the Nile River where he found his identity, became a prince of Egypt. Then he ran away from Egypt and he came to a well where he found intimacy with the God. And then later on, he came to a burning bush where God ignited his authority. You see, our identity leads us to a place of authority through our place of intimacy. Isn't that amazing? You see, it's time to stand up for our calling in our lives. You can only stand up for your calling when you are infused by the place of intimacy and presence in God. Then Sermon 4, we looked two, three weeks ago, we looked at when your bottle is empty. Remember that one. We spoke about the story about Hagar and Ishmael. I never thought that I would preach a sermon on Ishmael, but I did. And it was more about Hagar, a mother who fought for her son. So Hagar met God at a well where she received a promise, remember? She fled away from Sarah and she fled into the desert, came to a well and God appeared to her in the form of an angel and spoke to her and said, I've given you a promise today. And through this promise I say that I will give a generation to your son. And she went back. And then later on we know that, that they were sent into the wilderness by Abraham. God spoke to Sarah. Abraham obe obeyed. They sent her into the wilderness to die. And in that place where they thought they are going to die, God opened their eyes to see the breakthrough. But before they saw the breakthrough, God had to deal with their fear. And as He dealt with their fear, their eyes opened. And they could see a breakthrough. They saw a well and they camped out at the well, stayed there, and Ishmael became a mighty nation that we still see today. See, we need to move from, from a place of just filling our bottle with His presence, with His intimacy, to a place where we go and sit at the well, stay at the well, and being infused with His presence on a daily basis. We can take the well wherever we go. We can be in that flow every day of our lives. But see, we have come through religion and through church, come to a bottle mentality where we want to bottle the presence of God and take it with us till we feel, oh, it's empty. What do I do now? I need to go back to the place and find God again. No, no. We need to stay in a place of intimacy and the flow of God where God can bless us and infuse us and mature us in His presence. Does it bring some, some reflection? Remember that? Now we've looked at great, amazing stories in the Bible and looked at amazing ways to grow in our intimacy with God. Amen? Now, but I want to end the series with one of the most prominent stories of a well in the Bible. And it's probably one of the most amazing stories that happened at a well where Jesus took us from the old to the new. So let's read together. It's, uh, the story is in John 4, verse 3 to 26. Now I'm going to read all the chapters and we're going to look at um, John 4 as a, as a whole. I'm not going to read every, everything, um, but I'm going to read the basis of what we're going to look at. Are you ready? So let's read it together. Um, okay, so 
so before I start, verse 1 and 2, Jesus was in, the, in, in, in Judea and he wanted to go back to Galilee and he was baptizing people. But actually his disciples was baptizing. But the, Phil- the um, not the Philistines, the Pharisees saw that Jesus baptized and Jesus probably saw with his disciples problems are coming. So they decided to go back to Galilee and that's where we pick it up. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee and he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the, at, at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused um, to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has, has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me. And I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you are greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he is, uh, than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Then Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give will never will be thirsty again. It will become a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands and you, are, you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gershom, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father in the mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know know very little about the one you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, is here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Isn't that a great story? It's quite a mouthful, and it goes on and on and on, and we're going to look at it later. But it's such a great story about Jesus and a woman from Samaria. Now Jesus and disciples were on their way from Judea back to Galilee and they had to go through Samaria. Now Samaria was right in the middle between 
Judea and Galilee. And the shortcut was to go right through Samaria. Um, they could have gone around it, but it's a longer journey and longer days. And it's quite a hill country. If you look at the maps, you'll see it's very hilly. Now Jesus became very tired at this well. And he sat down at the well and said, you guys go buy food. I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to rest. And it's actually amazing if you look at the story that it shows the humanity of Jesus. That he also got tired. He was man, but he was God. But he sat down and his disciples still had energy to go. Now they were a bunch of fishermen, um, not to take anything away from Jesus. But he, long and short of the story, he, he decided to stay and he sent him into town. Now that's where the women came to draw water. And, and as we've seen in the first, second and third and fourth sermons about a well, that's what women did. That was their duty. She came and she drew water and it was only her. Usually women came in groups to draw water. And some of them had slaves to accompany them to draw the water for them. But this was only her. And we'll see later on why it was only her. Now it's interesting that when Jesus asked her for a drink, I don't know if you've seen it, but when Jesus asked her for a drink, what was her immediate reaction? She immediately questioned his motive. I mean, if we look at the scriptures, she immediately, he said, can I have a drink? And she immediately said, well, you're a Jew. Why do you ask me for a drink? How can you do this? And I thought, wow, that's quite harsh. <laughs> I mean, the man is just thirsty. He's asking for a drink. You're anyway pulling the water up. But she reacted with such prejudice that it sounded almost offensive. It was almost racist innocent sense. I mean, he just asked for a drink and she immediately just gave him a piece of her mind. Now, before we start to judge the Samaritan woman, let me just give you a bit of a backdrop on Samaria and Samaritans. And if you read through the Bible and you look at, at uh, the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan and all those, we realize that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other too much. I mean, they, they couldn't stand each other, actually. Now, if you look at the, at the history and the background of Samaria, Samaria was at one point the capital city of Israel. Till the king of Assyria captured that city. And, and he captured with that almost 27, and I think almost 30,000 Israelites captured with it. They were surrounding the city, staying in the city, staying around the city. So that's a lot of Israelites, a lot of Jews. And in the city there was a temple, they served God, they were Jews, and they had certain rituals of serving and, 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 and just worshipping God. So this king of Assyria came and he built a bald temple right on the top of Mount Gershom. Oh, no, sorry, not on Mount Gershom, but in the city he built a, a temple for Baal. And there they worshipped, pagan worship. And I know the Baal worshippers killed babies as part of their worship. And it was absolute pagan worship apart from, from who God is and what they worship God in the temple. And apart from uh, with the temple that he built, he employed 400 Baal prophets to live in that city, eat at its table, and minister to the people in that city and surrounding areas. You see, which made things worse, he sent colonists into the countryside to intermarry with the Israelites. 
Now that brought quite a, quite a problem. If you read in 2 Kings, 2 Kings 17, that they began with such pagan practices mixed in with God worship that God was fed up with it. He sent lions into the community who tore people apart. Go and read in 2 Kings 17. It's quite amazing. And the king got a fright and he said, Oh my goodness, let me send a priest back into the city, into the countryside to teach the people the true ways of God. But it was too late. The pagan practices of the Syrians, the Baal, and the godly worship of the Jews were mixed. It was so much mixed that, that the Jewish religion became pagan rituals, were incorporated with pagan rituals. It was a fake religion. We believe in God, but we do Baal religion or Baal rituals. And the result was a very corrupt form of Judaism. It was a corrupt form of Judaism. So later on in the scriptures, we saw that the Jews were allowed to rebuild their temple. And as they built their temple, rebuilt the temple, they refused to let any Samaritan help them or worship at the temple. They refused. So they believed that the Samaritans had corrupted the Hebrew bloodline as well as perverted the Jewish worship, which is quite severe if you think about it, as prejudiced as you can. But sometimes when you stand in the Jewish side, you think, well, that's quite right. You serve Baal and God. You can't serve two gods. You need to serve God. But these guys, the Samaritans that grew up, knew about God. They believed in a Messiah. If you've seen the scriptures, the woman said, but we know about a Messiah will come and teach us everything we, we, we need to know. They believed in the same Messiah, they believed in God, but they had Baal rituals. So there was a, a big disagreement about God serving God and serving God with rituals. And that's where this place come from. The Samaritans couldn't, um, were, well, they couldn't stand each other. But the Jews on their side were more prejudiced towards the Samaritans than anyone else. Because they believed that you have skewed our belief and our worship to such a degree that you've, you've um, made it filthy. So when the Samaritan lady came to Jesus, she expected him to be prejudiced towards her. So she, just, she was just ready to fight. She was just ready for him to say whatever he's going to say. It's like she probably, she probably thought he's going to take the water and chase her away. And that's why she reacted in a way that came over offensive and racist. Now if you ask me, this woman was ready to defend herself, but what she got in return was something else. Jesus gave her love. She came and she was ready to fight and this man came with a reaction that was actually not what she, what she was expecting. Immediately said, will you give me a drink of water? No, why, why do you ask me for a drink of water? You're a Jew, this. And Jesus says, but if you knew who I was, I would have, you would have asked me and I would have given you so much, much better. And he just took her off her feet. Now, I love Jesus' reply. Now, let's just read this together. Verse 10, he says, Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who are speaking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now, 
Now, this is quite a mouthful. This is, this is, this is the powerful phrase. There's two powerful phrases in this whole chapter 4, but this is probably the pro- power, most powerful phrase that Jesus used. He says, if you only knew the gift God has for you, if you only know what I have for you, I would, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Now, now if you look in the context of the, Hebrew, um, the Hebrews and, and, and the biblical times, when they speak about living water, they spoke about a bubbly fountain. A fountain that never runs dry. And they called it living water. Some of the, the, the scriptures calls it moving water. So she thought, well, if, if this well can always run dry, but living water cannot. It's a bubbling spring. It's a fountain. But she didn't know what he was talking about. So I want to show you the Amplified version quickly. The Amplified said, Jesus answered her, If you had only known and had recognized God's gift and who this is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him instead and he would have given you living water. Now this is very important. If you look at this reply that Jesus has replied, he was about to restore and heal this lady in three very distinct places in her life. He was about to bring restoration in her life because he saw that there was so much brokenness. Firstly, she came, she came alone to draw water. That means she had no community around her. And if we read on, we know that she was a prostitute. She was an immoral woman. That's probably why she came alone. So God saw a broken woman in front of him and he read her mail and she realized, oh my goodness, this is not a normal, are you a prophet? So let's look at these three things, very distinct things of restoration. Number one, he restored her place of intimacy. Firstly, see he says to the woman, if you had only known me, if you had only known me, now, known me where? Known me how? Know me in the spirit. Who I really am. If you had only known me in the spirit, my, if you have known me in that spiritual place of intimacy, you would have looked at the situation differently. See, we, teach, we see through scriptures that the word know speak about intimacy. We spoke about it in the first, the first sermon. To know someone was to be intimate with them. The scriptures in, in, in Genesis says, And Adam knew Eve, and she conceived. John 17 verse 3 says, um, Eternal life is that you know God, the only true one. Know God, have intimacy with Him, know Him intimately. You will, be, you have a, you will have eternal life already. So Jesus says, If you only known me, See, Jesus knew that this was a moral woman, a prostitute, and she was looking for intimacy in the flesh rather than looking for intimacy in the spirit. See, he was about to restore her place of intimacy by showing her her true identity. See, as believers, we look for our identity in so many places of fake intimacy. There's so many places of fake intimacy in life. You take your iPhone or your cell phone, that's a fake place of intimacy. There's so many things. There's, 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 
There's materialistic things that we look for intimacy. The bigger my car, the bigger my house, the more prettier this is, the more prettier my clothes is, the more I find identity in those things and I find a place of intimacy in them. Immorality is one of those places. But see, there's so, so many places of fake intimacy that the world is dabbling before our noses that we're falling for. See, those things brings us to a place we, we do not recognize God's presence anymore. It is. And sometimes I see some of those things in church. And unfortunately, the things in church becomes greater than God's presence that's supposed to be in church. So church is there for us to, to spend time in God's presence together, fellowship. Not to do things to have greater events. And events is great. It's part of what God does. But church was created to experience God's presence. To, to, to grow and mature in our place of intimacy with Him as we fellowship with others. See, those things bring us to a place where we don't recognize God's presence anymore. In that place where we get caught up in, in that place, we get caught up in prejudice. We get caught up in sin because we focus on fake intimacy rather than a place where we truly find God in that quiet place. And as women were caught up in fake intimacy, she was trying all this. She had five husbands. She had intimacy. She was prostituting herself. And, and as she came to Jesus, she thought, I'm going to get prejudice from him because he's a Jew. What did she get? Love. And as soon as she said, are you a prophet? She thought she's going to be judged religiously. And she wasn't. She was loved. And it showed us something of God's intention to find him in a place of intimacy. See, we were created to live in God's presence all the time. We were created to be in that flow of, Lord, I'm, I just want to experience your presence every time. Every moment of the day. You don't have to shake, rattle, and roll. You just have a, a knowing that God is here. See, God is so intentional. He was so intentional meeting that lady there. They could have gone around Samaria, but some translation says, and he had to go through Samaria. And he was tired and he sat at the well and he saw the woman come and he said, Let me just restore you while I'm at it. Because I'm about to release something to the world called my gospel. So let me give you a, like a taste of it before I release it to the world. He restored a place of intimacy. She saw a, a, a place where I've tried to find intimacy with all these immoral relationships and suddenly I see somebody who don't judge me. Who don't put me on a pedestal and through prejudice and racism shun me out. There was no judgment with Jesus. There was only love. And it freed her immediately. He restored a place of intimacy with him. Secondly, he restored her ability to recognize and receive. He says, the scripture says, Jesus answered her, if you only known and had recognized God's gift. How many times have we been in a place of intimacy with God? With God? We're in worship, we're in our devotion, we're in church, we, we, but we, we feel so far from Him. I know you've been there, I've been there so many times. I stand in worship and there's just nothing. 
Lord, this is nothing today. Where are you? But she was so numbed in a place to recognize God's presence that she, she didn't even know she was in the presence of, of Jesus. Some of us are doing our devotions. We're in, supposed to be in a place of intimacy with the Father, but we don't recognize His presence when He comes into the room. See, it's because we don't know how to receive anymore. See, our transmitters are working, but our receiver is switched off. God is transmitting. And as we are seeing there's a transmission. We can see and people are experiencing around us, but our receiver just can't receive. We don't know how to receive anymore. We don't know how to push into that place of, Lord, I want more of you. I want to see more of you. I want to experience more of you. As we see later on the scripture, God is a God of word and spirit. There's a word that flows, but there's also a spirit that touches people. And when we're in that place, we, it's like, Lord, I want to receive because I know you are here. Jesus said that if you know who I am and what I have given you, you will never struggle to receive anymore. If you know who I am, that I don't judge you, I don't judge you any time in your life, I've never judged you, all I did is I loved you. I already sorted it out with Jesus. I don't look at your sin, I don't judge your sin anymore. Yes, he wants us to come to a place of repentance, but he doesn't bring our sin against us or keep our sin against us, but the church preached sin consciousness. We preach sin consciousness every time and so many times, but we need to come to a place where we preach God is a God of grace. He wants us to receive everything He's given us. You know that the gospel started with Abraham? We'll go more into that in the weeks to come. But the gospel started where God came to Abraham, a pagan Iraqi man, he was a pagan Iraqi man. He didn't know God. God came to him and said, Abraham, I chose you. I want to bless you. He didn't say, I want to count your sins against you. He didn't say, you first need to repent and then go through all this. No, no, he just said, I want to bless you. There was no law. There was no nothing. There was just, I want to bless you. When the Samaritan lady stood before Jesus, there was no, I'm looking at your sin. Oh, you're so pagan. Go back and repent. No, it's just, I want to bless you. Let me bless you. Let me show you how much I love you. Because I'm not going to count your sin against you anymore. I'm not going to count your sin against you anymore. I want to bless you. That's where the gospel started. And this is where Jesus was about to release the gospel to people. At a well, in a place of intimacy with a moral woman. See, God is not focused on judging our sin because He already settled it with Jesus on the cross. He just came to give us grace. He was there to, to show the Samaritan lady, I want to show you grace today. There's no prejudice. There's no racism. So I want to restore that place where you receive because you don't feel guilty. You see, it's in a place of guilt that we sit, that we can't receive. I feel so guilty because of all these things in my life. And the only thing God wants us to do is to repent, move on, and experience His grace. Just experience that blessing that God has given us, has set out for us. I'm not speaking that, hey, now we can sin as much as we want to because there's grace. No, that is a fake grace. It's not a real grace. Grace is 
something that frees us from our sin, that brings us to repentance, and helps us to receive everything that God wants to give us. See, He restored her place to receive. Jesus didn't look at this woman's sins, and instead of giving her punishment, He gave her grace. He gave her the gospel of grace that He was in this world to give. Look what Paul says in Romans 5 verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us. Law, death. That was the first Adam. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness. Some scripture says the free gift of righteousness. For all who receive, it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? See, Jesus said the first Adam sinned and he, he brought us all under judgment. So when Jesus came, he said, I want to come to break the law and the judgment and give you a free gift of righteousness and a blessing that I promised to Abraham many years ago. And because of that, you will receive a life that's triumphant. You see, that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, I didn't come to judge you. I didn't come to, because Adam, the first Adam, was, was in judgment and sin, but I have come to give you that free gift. I've come to give you that place of grace. I've come to place so that I want to free you from whatever is, that is holding you away from receiving the fullness that I have for you. So many times we sit and pray in our prayer life and in our devotional life and there's so much guilt in our life that bring religion and fear that God's going to judge us and the only thing God wants is I just want you to step out of this place of guilt. Yeah. Know what I have for you and embrace the grace that I have for you so that I can give you and you can receive. So what was this gift that Jesus was speaking about? What was this gift? Did you think about it? He was speaking about himself. He was, the gift was the gospel. The gift was Jesus. The gift was the free gift of righteousness. He says, if you only known who are you, who you're speaking to, that I am the one that's going to give you grace that will free you to a place of right standing. What does righteousness mean? I am in right standing with the Father. I'm not judged. My sin is not kept in front of me. I'm in righteousness. And the scripture says that God has given us righteousness. He has exchanged our sinless sin life with a life of righteousness. There was an exchange, if you read in Ephesians. There was an exchange. I exchange your sin for my righteousness. And it's exactly what Jesus did with the Samaritan lady. He said, give me your sin so that I can show you your righteousness. See, the gift was a free gift. And it was righteous. And it was Jesus. It was the gospel of grace. Then number three, he restored her. Oh, sorry, number one, he restored her intimacy. Number two, he restored her place to receive whatever God wants to give. And number three, he restored her place of honor. He restored her place of honor. Let's read the story on. If you read, we, we read till verse 26. Let's read verse 28. So what happened? Jesus was speaking to the lady. She, he said, I am the Messiah. As he said that, his disciples came back. 
And it's like, why is Jesus speaking to a lady? So let's look at verse 28. He says, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now, can we just, I mean, this is a woman. She's immoral. She comes to draw water alone. People don't like her. She doesn't have a community. She only have, she have men that come visit her. So we need to realize that this woman, who she was, the woman who ran back to a town, she wasn't celebrated in. So that meant that she had, she was looked down upon and regarded as dishonoring in the community. She was. She was a prostitute. She was immoral. She had five husbands. She, I mean, there was sin in her life. Now secondly, in biblical times, women had no place of honor. Now I'm not, I'm not gunning on the women. I'm talking about biblical times. Women had no place of honor. Only men could receive honor for a family. So women couldn't speak at, a, at a, a place to receive honor. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't. The only place where women had is to give children and make food and go and draw water probably. <laughs> That's what women was there for. They were not counted as, as community. Every time the Bible speaks about there were 3,000, 2,000, 5,000. It was only speaking about men. Because only men were counted in a place of honor. So she couldn't step in or earn a place of honor as a woman. But so she ran back to the village and got everything to come and see. Just, just doing that was quite amazing. Now what brought her to a place to do that? Think about it. It sounded like a woman who was just set free. It sounded like a woman who was so infused with courage and boldness from a place of intimacy that she had to tell someone. She ran back. She, she experienced grace and forgiveness in that moment where Jesus spoke to her. You see, it's from a place of intimacy she received boldness and courage. And then what did she do? She reached out to others. See, sometimes churches teach us that we receive grace and, and freedom and, and we, we keep it for ourselves. But as we look up and God comes and frees us and restores us, we need to look out. We need to give it to others. We need to reach out to others. And this is exactly what she did. She couldn't help herself. She ran to the village say, saying to everyone, I think the Messiah is at Jacob's well. You need to come and see. And I think it's a, it's a crying wolf situation. When a prostitute, we don't like her, we don't honor her, she comes and shouts and yells and people think, what's wrong with you? Are you high? I'm not gonna, I don't care about what you say. But she probably was so, so shining with joy and celebration of, I was just set free. I don't care what people think about me. I'm gonna tell you, you need to see this place of freedom. You need to see this grace and this gift of righteousness. Now Jesus gave her the gospel of grace and she immediately ran to give it to others. That just shows us that the true gospel of grace and righteousness 
that's what it's supposed to do to us. If we receive the gospel of grace and righteousness, I mean, it's like hearing a great joke. You can't keep it for yourself. I need to tell it to someone. <laughs> I like that. When I hear a good joke, I need to tell someone the joke. Because I want him to laugh with me. Isn't it? And look at the last scripture, John 4, 39, a little bit on. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. So many believed because the woman said. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. Next slide. So he stayed for two days long enough, for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then he said to the woman, Now we believe. Not just because you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. It is so important that we can't be Christ to someone else. But we are the message bearers. We are the good news carriers. We are the people who carry like, there is freedom for you in Christ. There is a gospel, there is grace for you in Christ. Come and hear him. Let me introduce you. And as they in, we introduce them to God, they are restored. Not by us, but by God. You see, Jesus shared a glimpse of the gospel that was to come. Just a glimpse. And from that place of intimacy Jesus had with that woman, the spiritual place of intimacy, he restored her honor. He restored her honor. They, they said it. Now we believe because you have told us. We honor you for bringing us to the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we're in a place where we feel dishonored. Maybe there's racism in our life, prejudice in our life, whatever you can call it. And we feel that we feel dishonored in a place of who we are and where we are at. I've been there many a times. I'm not clever enough. I don't preach well or I didn't do this well. I'm not good enough at sport. I'm not good enough at this. I'm, I mean, I can tell you many stories. And we feel dishonored between in a community of people where, where you need to earn your honor through stuff you do. But see, Jesus, without the woman earning her honor, infused her with so much grace and freedom and righteousness that she brought the people to him and it restored her place of honor in that community. See, when we spend time in His presence and have intimate moments with God, he rest a restoration happens in our lives. It ignites us to bring the grace of God to others. See, I can't come to people and judge them for their sins because I know God is, is not judging me anymore. Sometimes it's tough to speak to a sinner, atheist, whoever, speak to them and see the person and not the sin. Because that's what Jesus did. He saw this woman. He saw her brokenness. And because he saw that, he could minister her with grace. But if he saw her grace, if he saw her sin, it would have brought him to a place of prejudice. And so many times in our believing in, in our Christian circles today, people choose to see the sin first and not the grace of God in a person. 
I pray every day. I said, Lord, help me to see the person. Help me to see that person, your grace for them, your goodness for them. And that's why I love the prophetic ministry, where God calls out of you the goodness, the great things. You see, the, motivational, the motivation for intimacy with God comes from our hunger for Him. Lord, I'm so hungry for you. I'm so hungry for you. And it's motivating me to go and sit in your presence, sit in that place of intimacy. But may our moments of intimacy with Him result us to go into a place where we can tell others of His good news, of, his, of the free gift of righteousness that you are not under judgment anymore. Don't put yourself there. You are free. Just come to a place of repentance, knowing that He is, then receiving, knowing, recognizing God in our lives. And you will receive restoration and freedom in our hearts. Now in the sermon series, we looked, in the first four weeks, we looked at the Old Testament. We looked at places where people had to find that place of intimacy. People had to go and delve and dig deeper. And, and, and yes, we still do it today, but Jesus came through the gospel of grace and he changed everything. He said, you don't have to go and look for a well anymore. But when I die on the cross and the Holy Spirit will tear that, that holiest of holies curtains, that my presence will become part of your life every moment of every day. That means that you don't have to go and sit at a well, you can bring the well with you. You can carry His presence with you every time you go into worship, every time you pray, every time you sit and open the Word, His presence are there for us. That we can experience that from a place where we're not guilty, but we are set free. I really pray that, that God will bring us to a place where we can administer the grace of God to such a degree to people. We don't give them the freedom to sin, but we will free them from sin and bring them to a place of to hunger for God. You see, when you experience God in that place where everything is infused by His presence, Lord, I just want more of you. I don't care about the stuff that's holding me back. Yes, there's temptations in life and there's stuff, but, but nothing so great than a touch of your presence. Nothing so great than meeting Jesus in my most humblest needs. Meeting Jesus at a place where I feel broken. And He just brings restoration again and again and again in your life. Can we pray together? Let's just stand together. It's awesome.